Good morning. I'll tell you what, after hearing that testimony, I'm tempted to give the benediction. <laughs> and, and let that just stay in your mind as a, a testimony of what truly it means that God is our provider. And I, I thank God so much for the Allens. You know, Matt is one of our deacons here. Jessica is active as a leader in our ladies' ministry and in our worship team. And, and just, and I've known them uh, for so long, and, and to see them persevere, uh, to go through some tough times, and to now stand and to give testimony to God for His faithfulness. Uh, I wish that would be all of our testimony because we serve a, a good God who loves us, who, uh, who has the very best uh, in mind for us. And sometimes, yeah, we, we have to walk through some dark valleys, even the valley of the shadow of death. But what, but what has God promised to us? That he would be with us until the very end. And I'm sure the Allens will give testimony to that uh, this morning. Oh, it's just great to see our kids. Hallelujah, I am blessed. <laughs> it was just so wonderful to see those young voices rise up and, and to give praise to God and, and to hear you all support them so well. Thank you for that. I'm sure that was a, a blessing uh, to their hearts. Uh, I thank Elder Lewis for reading through Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 14. I think that's an appropriate uh, text for us to look at this morning as the, uh, the Allens have given testimony. It's, it's so easy for us to treasure the wrong things in our heart and, and, and for God to, uh, to bring us to awareness of where our treasure is because indeed that's where our heart is. And so I'm so thankful that he's given me the privilege uh, this morning to just speak with you just a few minutes uh, from God's Word. And as we continue in, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, uh, Jesus is just starting his public ministry uh, that will end three short years later with him hanging on that cross uh, to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we, his people, could he share eternity with him? It's a, it's a blessed passage of, uh, of Scripture, appropriate for this month of the year uh, where we celebrate Jehovah Jireh. God provides, and indeed he has provided a Savior. So here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 uh, through 24, as I've looked at those six uh, verses before us, my attention is really drawn to verse 21, that I think really pulls it all together. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, Jesus uses this verse about the heart and about treasures to place the emphasis on the relationship between the believer and their God. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Uh, next week, as we uh, close out chapter 6, uh, this particular passage is somewhat of a vertical-looking passage between us and our God. Uh, but, but Jesus always takes the, the theological, and, and he makes it practical. And so as we close out uh, chapter 6 next week, there's going to be some great practical 
applications of this understanding of where is your treasure. So, uh, and that's really the, the key message that I want to leave with you this morning. What does your heart treasure? What does your heart treasure? I'm going to talk about what I call uh, the heart principle that leads to the worship principle and then ends with the storage principle, heart principle, worship principle, storage principle. So let's, let's take a look at this heart principle concept. As I said earlier, I think verse 21 is the key. Uh, let me read also the two verses that accompany it. It says in verse 21 again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your heart, eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, I think in order to truly understand this passage, you have to think and, and understand what the Bible speaks of when it talks about the concept of the heart, the concept of the heart. You know, physically, the, the heart is essential to having a healthy, functioning body. It's a marvelous creation. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful piece and work of engineering. Now, check this out. If you were to take your hands and clasp them together and form a double fist, just like this, that's about the size of a typical average human heart. It's a marvelous creation. Its primary function is to supply the body with oxygenated blood and nutrients and take away metabolic waste from the body. On average, the, the human heart beats about 100,000 times a day. Count them one day for if you got the time. <laughs> it circulates about a, a gallon and a half of, of blood per minute throughout the body. The, the heart influences the entire body. Here's the bottom line. To have a healthy body, you need to have your heart function well. And, and I, I, when we think about the concept of the heart, many things come to mind. I, I know uh, when we think about the heart a lot, we, we think about the emotion of love. Uh, when Terry tells me she loves me with all my heart, I just go, whoa. <laughs> just makes me feel good all over. And that just points to the fact that the heart has a physical as well as emotional function. Um, from God's perspective, and as we look throughout the passage in the annals of Scripture, when the, body, when the Bible talks about the concept of the heart, it really represents the entire person. It's not just that little thing that goes dumpity-dump, dumpity-dump in our, in our body. The heart represents the entire person person. And as Jesus is preaching and teaching to the crowd this morning, uh, that's what he really wants you to understand. As the entire person, the heart represents you. And where your treasure is, your heart will be there likewise. 
we have an equipping class here at West Park that we call HeartWise. And, and HeartWise is based on the premise that to truly live life well, training of the heart, the entire person, is critical. In our HeartWise class, we've been blessed to follow a book by a man named Treg Troxel. Troxel's the professor of practical theology at Westminster Seminary. And the book that Troxel has written that we use in our class is With All Your Heart, Oriented Your Mind, Desires, and Will Towards Christ. I'll just read a little excerpt from Troxel's book about what the heart means in the Bible. Here's what Troxel writes. The heart merits the careful study of Scripture. In fact, I hope to persuade you that the word heart is the most important word in the Bible to describe who you are within. Biblically, the heart represents the whole person, including our capacity to think. That's why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand because your heart really defines you. It's your heart that defines and testifies to the spiritual state of your soul. And just and just as the heart pumps, the physical heart pumps that life-sustaining blood throughout your entire body, biblically, what you treasure in your heart pumps that identity throughout your entire personhood as well. Who you are, what you treasure in your heart pumps that throughout your entire being. So where your heart is, that's so important to understand. Now, it's, it's interesting that Jesus in this opening passage, in talking about heart, he uses a lot of different metaphors. He, he, in fact, he uses that metaphor about the eye. And many theologians have struggled with, why switch from heart to eye? And I think Jesus does that just to help us, again, grasp the total scope and depth of what the heart means. And we all know that the eye is that instrument that God has given to us that we take tons of information into our body, into our mind. And so Jesus says that the, the eye is the lamp of the body. And he says that if your eye is healthy, if your heart is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But on the other hand, bad eye, that whole body will be filled with, dark, filled with darkness. So then that light will be dark within you, and it will be a great darkness. So why did Jesus make the, the switching of the metaphor to the eye? Uh, I think it's because he wants to stress the point that light that is produced is either good versus bad, it's either healthy versus unhealthy. It's interesting, as Jesus makes that either-or contrast, the one thing that he left out was the middle. 
There is no middle. Yes, there's good and there's bad. There's healthy, there's unhealthy. We cannot walk the middle ground. As the lamp of the body, the eye is either going to produce light, light that is good and healthy, or it's going to produce light that is bad and unhealthy. And in doing so, the body, the entire person, is impacted one of two ways. It's either good and healthy or it's bad and unhealthy. And Jesus is speaking to the fact in order to follow him as his disciples, we have to examine our hearts. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Now, if your heart is not functioning properly, uh, it leads down a road and a path that ultimately will be unhealthy for the believer. And that's part of what makes this passage so difficult to understand. Because we, again, let me just warn you, when we think about the heart, if we're only thinking about the physical aspects of what the heart represents, that's a mistake. Conversely, if we're only thinking about the spiritual aspect of what the heart represents, uh, that's a mistake as well. The Bible is calling for us to think of the heart in totality, both physically and, uh, and non-physically. So, so when it comes to personhood, the Bible speaks of both a material aspect of who we are, the physical aspect of who we are, and it also speaks to the immaterial aspect of who we are, the, the non-physical. Uh, the, the, our person is composed of both physical and non-physical, spiritual and non-spiritual. And Jesus is stressing the point that the one impacts the other. Our physical state impacts our spiritual state. Our spiritual state impacts our physical. We are embodied souls. Embodied souls. Uh, when the Bible speaks in Genesis 2-7, that's exactly what the point is being made. And, and here's what uh, the Bible says to us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That's a critical point to understand. Any worldview that separates the two or denies that there is a, phys a, a spiritual aspect of who we are as persons, I would recommend to you, run. You know, anyone who, any worldview that denies that there is a God, that there indeed is a supreme, transcendent person, and denies that reality, run. Because the Bible clearly teaches that we are embodied souls. And so Jesus is wanting to drive home the point, whatever is going on in your heart will impact every aspect of who you are. That is the heart principle. And Jesus is saying, whatever you treasure, it will impact your total person, both body and soul. 
Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He wants us to understand the importance of the heart and the role that it plays in the life of a believer. Now, that's why the heart principle is so important to understand as we move on to the second point of the worship principle. If you don't get the heart principle right, then the worship principle will follow accordingly. Because where, what you treasure in your heart ultimately is what you will worship. Let me say that again. Didn't get enough amens on that one. <laughs> Whatever you treasure, treasure in your heart you, is what you will worship. And so in verse 24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, when you look at that verse, you see many words of worship. Hate, love, devoted, desire. Those are all words of worship. The word master is associated biblically with lordship, the one who rules. In heart-wise, we always teach whatever sits on the throne of your heart rules. Whatever sits on your heart's throne rules. That's what a master does. He rules. Jesus was speaking to a crowd who understood what it meant to be ruled by someone. Many of these people were slaves. They had no true control of their lives. They did what their master told them to do. It was forced servitude, and it was non-negotiable. To understand that principle, Jesus wanted to leverage that understanding so that he could teach an even greater principle. What your heart worships What your heart worships will totally rule your life. What your heart worships will totally rule your life. Uh, There's another word that the Bible uses to describe that phenomena. It's called idolatry. That's the essence of idolatry. Uh, And when it comes to who is the master of your heart... And if you are not, if you are not mastered by God, then the only other option is to be mastered by an idol. Jesus is teaching that idolatry will always lead to heart worship. There are only two options for rulership of your heart. Only two. God or everything else. Amen. Just two. Either God is going to sit on the throne of your heart and you will worship him. Sorry, folks, I didn't mean to point you guys out on this, but everything else Amen. will sit on the throne of your hearts and you'll worship that. For the, and God is not having any of it. 
God is, God is telling you, I am not in a bargaining mood. I am not going to sit here and negotiate with you, who I created, for rulership in your heart. That's why the scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God's saying, I'm not having any of it. And, and, and beloved, the worship principle is so important for us to understand. Because where your heart, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, so Jesus is drawing another line in the sand. Worship principle, the understanding the worship principle is heart transforming. It truly is. It's, it's that transformation that understands God has no tolerance for anything else, and neither, neither shall we. But yet we try to strike that balance. Instead of this either-or kind of situation, we want it both and. And God is saying no. So when it comes to masters, listen up, all eyes on me. You got to hear this one. When it comes to masters, you cannot get away with trying to love more than one. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me say that again. <laughs> when it comes to masters, you can't get away with trying to love more than one. Amen. What did Jesus say? You either love one or despise the other. We don't have the choice. Okay? And it's interesting. Uh, not only can't you love more than one, the, the Bible also says that you don't have the choice when it comes to hating one or the other. In fact, there's only one choice. And, and here's the one choice. There's two options. Uh, when it comes to worship, there's, all, there's only two options, but one choice. There's two options, but one choice. Here's option one, love God, hate everything else. Here's option two, love everything else, hate God. Folks, that's the only two options we have. And if we're fooling ourselves thinking we can play the middle, it's not going to work. There's just two options. You love God and you hate everything else. Or you love everything else and as a result... You hate God. Weigh that in your mind. And consider that as you think about where is your treasure? Which have you chosen? So if you select option one, you, you know, the, the love God, hate everything else option, a funny little thing happens. A funny little thing happens. If you choose option one, God will give you everything you need. Amen. He'll give you everything else that you need. That's the everything else principle. That's found in Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, but again, that, that's the passage for next week. I don't know why Sam gets to preach all the good passages. <laughs> But you'll get that next week. So Jesus says, he uses a, uh, an interesting little analogy 
to pull our attention to this everything else principle. Uh, he talks about the love of money, the everything else in verse 24. And, I, and I'm convinced that, uh, again, he wanted to emphasize the love of money. But in many ways, the love of money just represents a proxy for everything else. Uh, for you, it may be your favorite car or uh, a high-class education or, or uh, a promising career. I don't know what the everything else would mean to you. But for those living in that day, the love of money was an especial uh, way to, to have an idol form in your heart. You know, you know about the money. You, you can't live with it. You can't live without it. Money, 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 money. There was a song about that. Look it up. <laughs> it made a, it, but that, here's the deal. Financial security for so many of us means the good life. And having plenty of money, it was seen as the key to security, but it may come at a great cost because Jesus realized for many listening to his message that money had become an idol that led to heart worship. Money's not the problem until it becomes a heart idol. And when that occurs, an idol money begins to rule your life. Folks, listen up, please. That, that's exactly what idols do. They master and they rule your heart. And money, and here's the fact, money for that matter, or any kind of idol, is a sorry master. It's just a sorry master. Uh, this kind of rulership leads to all kinds of evil desires and activities that will fight against God's rightful rule over your heart. As illegitimate masters, idols unleash evil desires and activities that rapidly get out of control and are simply impossible to contain. Uh, just come to renewal on Monday nights, and, and you'll talk with and see people who are struggling with life-dominating sins. Now, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. When an idol begins to master your heart, it starts the process. The idol starts the process of establishing its kingdom. The idol over your heart starts to sink deep roots. These roots penetrate deep into your soul and begin to take over every part of who you are both spiritually and physically. And if you know anything about roots, the deeper they go, the harder it is to pull them out. When the love of money starts to rule in your heart, when an idol starts to rule in your heart because of that entrenched root system that it develops, it will produce all kinds of evil that will wreck your life. And one of the ways that the idol of money 
will demand worship in your heart is that its roots will choke out your love for God. Because God's not having any of it. Either he's going to rule or everything else. You know, idols are like that. They're jealous. They demand to be worshipped like a god and replace the worship of the one and only true God. But unlike God, unlike our loving Heavenly Father, idols will fail you. The prophet Jeremiah said that, Jeremiah 2.13. Listen to what Jeremiah warned Israel. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's what idols will do. They'll choke out the God of living waters, and they'll have you dependent on a bucket with a hole in it. And the more money you put in it, the more the money leaks out. The more dependence you put on any idol for any reason, as time goes on, it just leaks right away. Jehovah God, the God who provides, is a jealous God. He is the one and only God, and he will not share his God glory with idols. You have only one choice. Either love the God of the Bible, either love the God of the Bible, or hate him. So that gets me to point number three, the storage principle. Come back next week. Sam's got a good message. It's going to liven things up. <laughs> the storage principle. When it comes to what you treasure, what's your choice? What have you decided to store up? So let's look at those closing uh, two verses of our passage this morning. Here's what Jesus says again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now that's what I'm talking about. Jesus is making yet another point of contrast. He's drawing lines in the sand once again. The issue boils down to the kind of treasure that you're producing and where's the best place to store them. Here's the, again, that interesting contrast uh, that describes the line that Jesus is drawing. One, earthly treasures, earthly storage. Or two, heavenly treasures, heavenly storage. Now, just to be clear, I don't think Jesus is saying that earthly treasures are bad or there's anything wrong with those. He's just saying you just got to watch to make sure they don't become an idol. God has given us things to steward for his behalf here on earth, and we need to do a good job of stewarding those. So I don't think that's a problem at all. But I think Jesus is saying that whatever you worship, whatever your heart treasures, it will ultimately drive what you put a pariety on storing up. 
and what you will prioritize. As Christ followers, we understand that everything in this earth is passing away except for the spiritual. You used to see one of these little car plates that read, license plates that read, your children are the only earthly possession that you can take to heaven with you. Okay? Now look, I don't want to get into a theological debate about that, so don't grab me afterwards. <laughs> All right? But I kind of like the sentiment of that little license plate. Here's the deal. Our physical bodies will pass away. Every earthly possession that we have will eventually be destroyed. And praise God that his plan is to make everything new without the impact of sin. Amen. That should be our focus. The earthly possessions God has blessed us with are not permanent, and we must hold them loosely in our hands. In fact, the very best utilization of anything God has given to us is to make sure that there's a kingdom focus behind it. That there's a kingdom focus and purpose behind them. And, and that includes using them appropriately for our own enjoyment. But Jesus is teaching that an inordinate focus on storing earthly treasures is ultimately fruitless, especially if doing so relegates the focus on storing up heavenly treasures to a lower priority. Heavenly focus must take priority over anything earthly, and we must never cross that line. If you, if you do so, if you, you cross that line where earthly treasures have your priority, uh, you're going to open wide the door to moths, rust, and thieves. Because the storage principle demands that you focus on laying up earthly treasures. Please, never forget this principle, that what you're doing right now will count for all of eternity. One day, as, a, as believers, we're going to stand before the Bema seat of judgment that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And he says, for we must all prepare, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Our works will be judged. Early on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, Paul talks about this judgment. He says, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of works each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That's another one that's a way of saying, if God is ruling in your heart and God is the motivation for everything you do, then when that work is tested by fire, it will survive. Well, here's the other side. If God's not ruling, but everything else is ruling, Paul says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
Folks, we want our works to survive the test. There's only one way for the works to survive the test. That's for God to be ruling on your heart. For God to be uh, where your heart is so that your treasures will flow appropriately. Amen. So, so as I, I bring this to a close, let me just go back again and, and reemphasize. There's a heart principle that Jesus is teaching. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a worship principle here. You worship what sits on the throne of your heart. And there's a storage principle. What your heart, heart treasure, what you worship, those are the things that you're storing up. And only that which has been stored up because you love God will stand that test. Um, Jesus knew that because of unbelief, many in the crowd would under, not understand these principles. Only those that love him and only those that obey him will truly hear in their hearts what God is calling them to do. Have you heard his voice? If you have, then show that Jesus is the master of your heart by obeying his commands. Seek first the kingdom, his righteousness. He'll add everything to you. If you don't know Jesus, but you desire to become part of his eternal treasure, seek me out afterwards. I'd, be, I'd love to talk with you. One of our leaders would love to share with you about the heart principle. The person sitting next to you this morning, just nudge them and say, what is he talking about? <laughs> They'd love to tell you uh, what I'm, and make it more understandable. Just, just give them the opportunity. But here's the bottom line. As I close, and as the worship team comes back, ask, think, and pray about how Jesus needs to be the master of your heart. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for just this opportunity that we've had to gather as your people once again, uh, to recognize the goodness of who you are, what you have done, what you are doing. Lord, we know nothing else should complete, compete with you for lordship, for master of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to examine our hearts deeply, to understand what we treasure. And we pray, Lord, that the answer comes back, only you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.